0: I grew up like Elena hearing the gospel preached and you know when you grow up in a church setting about the time of like four or five years old things start to make sense and you know your friends start getting saved and that's about the time four or five maybe six years old that's when that's when kids start truly understanding so I got the lapel coming right here. testing there we go sorry about this so when i was when i was 5 years old i made a profession of faith and the only really thing i remember about that is my baptism i don't really remember beginning a relationship with god The only thing I remember was what what Waylon did this morning, got baptized. And so years went on, and I I was seven, I was eight years old. I was in the third grade, and I realized that I didn't truly have a relationship with Jesus. And so it didn't take long for me to realize that I was basing my salvation off of my baptism. And that is not a steady foundation to base your salvation off of. So that night on December 15th, it's coming up now, December 15, 2008, I bowed my head and I trusted Christ as my Savior. And that's when I began my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And, you know, growing up, I still went to church. I was in junior camp, and the preacher was preaching on hell. And it was more of a message about, you know, get saved. But I was sitting there, and I realized that I knew I was saved. But I, I knew that I, that night I wanted to commit my life to rescuing people... ...from hell to telling as many people as I could about how they could go to heaven. So that night I surrendered my life to the Lord. And from third grade to about twelfth grade, if you were to ask me what I wanted to be... ...I would say, I want to be a preacher. Or I want to be a pastor or something to do with the ministry. Well, I was a sophomore in college and I reflected back on the decision that I made in junior camp... And I realized that I surrendered my life to the Lord, but I couldn't really detect a distinct calling in my life to preach. So, sophomore year to about junior year, if you were to ask me what I wanted to do, I would say I wanted to be a police officer. Because my grandpa is a police officer, and you know, police officers are, are so demonized right now. I, I wanted to, you know, be that, be that voice for good, be a police officer. But in reality, I was running from the calling of God on my life. And so I, I worked security at nights. I was sitting in my car. It was about 1 a.m. It was cold. It was New Year's Eve. And I was sitting in my car, and I had my Bible in my passenger seat. And I opened it, and I read 1 Timothy chapter 6, and how the Bible talks about um, don't, don't put your confidence in riches. And ultimately, it's talking about the good fight of faith. And so I determined that night, you know. What I wanted to do, I was surrendering truly my life to the Lord's will. And from that moment on, I have had no other passion than to preach um, and to just help others. My passion is really for youth. I've worked on a bus for eight years now, and I've been a a captain for two years. And just going out into the community and seeing the kids and seeing the need, um, the Lord has really uh, burdened my heart for the youth. So that's my testimony. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 is where, where we'll be tonight. I want to thank everybody, all the church family. So many names I could mention. and So many names, honestly, I've forgotten. It's been, a, it's been a lot of names, but it's been such a great trip. I want to thank every one of you for making us feel at home. Um, we've just truly enjoyed our trip out here. I was at the prayer breakfast um, yesterday, yesterday morning. And one of the conversations was, um, the guys at my table, they were talking about um, how, how long preachers can preach sometimes. And I, I took that as a subliminal hit, hint to not preach long. So they didn't come out and say it, but they were like, I, I heard someone preach an hour and a half one time. And I was like, I'm going to mark that, and uh, I'm not dumb, okay? Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. The Bible says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made to bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he said unto him, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, "Get get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this beautiful night that you've given us. And I thank you for Lighthouse Baptist Church and how It truly is a lighthouse in Cortez. I thank you for Pastor Bruce and all of his investment into this church. And I thank you for the members taking time to come out and hear a message, not from me, but from your word. Lord, there's a lot of need represented in this room and a lot of need amongst the church family. Lord, the devil wants to use that to distract from this message tonight, but I pray that you would focus our minds right now. And may we quiet the thoughts and the concerns of tomorrow and yesterday. And may we just be in this moment and hear what you would have us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Did you know that you have something that Satan wants? Whether you are the youngest one in here, all the way up to the oldest, you have something that Satan wants. Satan devotes his time and energy into getting this. Satan wants... Our focus, Because if our focus is pulled down from God and onto this world, our effectiveness for Christ is gone. In this passage, we see Jesus, or Satan tempting Jesus to get his mind off of what truly mattered. To get his mind off of the eternal and onto the minimal things of this world. And Satan not only comes to Jesus, but he comes to each and every one of us where we live, where we're at in our lives, and he tempts us with the same thing. Notice with me three temptations which Satan brought to Jesus and that he brings to you and me today. The first temptation I see is a temptation of fulfillment, a temptation of fulfillment. Look, at, look, look with me at verse 2 through 3. The Bible says, And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made to bread. Satan came to Jesus at a time when physically he was hungry. When physically, if I don't eat for 40 days... I am hungry. If I don't eat for four hours, I'm hungry. You know, you, you guys can't relate. But Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and Satan came to him when Satan thought Jesus was at his weakest. And Satan offered the temptation to be filled with bread. To be filled with bread. You know, there are many things in life that have like toys for example, okay? How many of you have, have seen that toy where it's like a wooden plank and it has these holes in, in the boards? So like the star and, the, and the, the moon, the crescent-shaped moon and the triangle and the circle. And these little kids, they have to stretch their minds and they get the moon shape and put it right in the moon and get the star and put it in the star. But you know, a lot of times what they do is they get the star ...and place it in the, in the square. And you're, you're looking at the kid and you're like, you stupid kid, that does not go in the, in the square. The square goes in the square and the star goes in the star. You know, Pastor Bruce said it this morning, we all have that Christ-shaped void in our lives. We have a hole in our lives. And a lot of times we try to fill it with things that aren't Christ... I think a lot of times Satan tempts us with fulfillment of money and success. You know, I'm a college student. I don't have a lot of money. But, you know, Satan wants to tempt me to say, but if you get money, then you'll be fulfilled. I don't think anybody is in this room is as successful as Tom Brady. Whether you hate him or love him, I kind of fall in the middle. I respect him as a player. But, I mean, he... He's kind of, you know, he's kind of a punk. But he is like one of the most successful football players. You know, he's, he's won, I think, six or seven Super Bowl championships. And in his interview, Tom Brady was asked after his third Super Bowl win, hey, how do you feel? How do you feel about your accomplishments? And you can kind of see the disappointment on his face. He was sitting there in that chair on, on the 60-minute show. And he said, you know, I think to myself, Is this it? After three Super Bowl wins, after a a model wife, after all this money, millions of dollars, and apparent success... ...afterward he says, is that it? Satan comes to each and every one of us and tempts us to try to fit money and success into our Christ-shaped void. But Tom Brady is a testimony that it doesn't fit. I think a lot of times also we try to fit comfort into the void. Into our Christ-shaped void, we try to fit comfort. You know, if anyone deserved to be comfortable, it would be Jesus. The King of kings and the Lord of lords stepping down from heaven. But he did not enter a comfortable situation. Do you realize that I ...had a better entrance into the world, physically speaking, than Jesus did? You had a better entrance. If you were born in a hospital, if you were born any other place than a barn... ...you had a better entrance into the world than the King of Kings does. Can you believe that? The one who deserved comfort, but came not to be comforted, but to serve others... Matthew 8 20 says the foxes have holes. This is Jesus speaking. The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. In the garden of Gethsemane it said, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus Christ was so focused not on his comfort, but doing the will of God that he forsook what was comfortable. You know, if we aren't careful, we can come to a place in our lives where we only go to church when it's convenient. When we only give in the offering plate, when it makes sense in our minds. Because we want to fit our budget. It's comfortable to give when you know where the money is. But it's not comfortable to give by stepping outside of your comfort zone. Or a lot of times we want to, we want to give a track when it's convenient for us. When, you know, all, all the stars align and you're feeling right, and not not a lot of people are watching, then I'll give a tract. Are we living lives chasing comfort? God hasn't called us to a life of comfort on this earth. He's called us to a life of conformity to Christ. You know what the irony is? People who chase comfort end up exhausted. It's like a horse that has a carrot out in front of them. He's doing everything that he can to get it. And like so many of us, we often chase comfort and we devote our energy into just getting that comfort. But ultimately, it leaves us more exhausted than in the first place. But here's the irony. When we pursue Christ like we should, he brings the comfort. The Bible says this. Turn with me, actually. Turn with me. Sorry, I got my notes a little mixed up. Turn with me to Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. It's just a few chapters over. The Bible says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek, And lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Verse 28 says, come unto me. You see, the true comfort comes when we pursue Jesus above the comfort. But Satan wants to throw in your face every single day the temptation of comfort rather than following God's will. The first temptation I see is a temptation of fulfillment. Secondly, I see a temptation of motive. A temptation of motive. Verse number five in Matthew chapter four. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou, thou dash thy foot against a stone. Now think with me. Think with me, church. Would it have been wrong for Jesus to do as he wills with his creation? After all, he created the world. So would it have been wrong in and of itself, minus the devil tempting him, would it have been wrong for him to take that leap? I don't, I don't think it would have. Because Jesus can do as he wills with his creation. But the devil wants to take things that aren't necessarily bad and to apply a false motive on them. Did you know that God is more concerned with why you do what you do than what you do? God is more concerned with why you're here at church than that you're here at church. Are you here at church just because, hey, my parents made me? It's the right thing to do. If if I don't come to church, then people might. Why do you do what you do? If you could turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16, and this is the famous story of Samuel being called of the Lord to go to Jesse's house and anoint a new king for Israel. 1 Samuel chapter 16. And verse 6 it says, And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab. And this this is Samuel looking on Eliab. And he said to himself, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance." But the Lord looketh on the heart. Could you say that verse with me, starting um, starting with "For the Lord seeth," all the way to the end. Ready? Begin. God cares more about the heart than He does the outward appearance. We can fool man. Growing up in church, I believe the best actors and actresses are not in Hollywood, but they're in the church. Because we've developed a skill of going through the motions like a robot. Going to church. Going to to outreach. Doing the right thing. Giving in the offering plate. But we do it so robotically that there's no heart behind it. Are we doing what we do for the Lord or are we doing what we do for outward appearance? Because like I said, God cares more about why you do what you do than what you do. Motive matters to God. There are many different levels of motivation. And even in the workplace, you can have a motive of fear. You can have a motive of, okay, if I don't get this done, then there will be a consequence. And I don't think that's necessarily a wrong motivation. In some, in some regards, the motivation of fear is beneficial. There's a motivation of duty. I do this because it's required of me. I had a teacher in the fourth grade. His name was Brother Coates. And um, Brother Coates was like the meanest teacher before fourth grade, right? Because when we would get in trouble... Brother Coates would be the person that the teachers would send him to. And so first grade, second grade, third grade, the troublemakers, they would all go to Brother Coates, and they would all come back crying. That's just how it was. <laughs> and so going into the fourth grade, I have a natural fear. I don't want, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to cry. So what, I'm, what am I going to do? I'm going to do my homework. I'm going to stand in line. I'm going to behave and not talk because I don't want to get in trouble. That was my motive. I was motivated by fear. You know, after probably about two or three months in the fourth grade, Brother Coach became one of my favorite teachers. He had this thing. He gave out cockroaches to his kids. It was the weirdest thing, right? But he gave out, like, African cockroaches, I think he called it, And it was just, like, the weirdest thing. But it's just a little thing to show his students that he loved us. And at (laughs) Christmas, yeah, okay, I'm I'm rethinking this, I'm rethinking this, (laughs) but he truly did it because he he thought the students really loved it. And at Christmas time, he would give us little stockings and little stocking stuffers, just Dollar Tree items, but we thought it was the coolest thing ever. You know, after the end of that year, I did what I did in that class, not because if I didn't, I would get in trouble, ...but because I truly love Brother Coates. And God wants to take us from the motivation of... ...if I don't do this, then I'm going to get in trouble... ...to I do this because I love God. The Bible says in Romans 12, 1 and 2... "...I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God... ...that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice... ...wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service." You realize that after all Jesus has done for us, we should have the motive of love behind what we do. Because Jesus died on the cross. The whole reason why we celebrate Christmas, Jesus coming down and taking our place, born to die. Jesus was born to die for me and for you. So we shouldn't give because we have to. We should give because we get to. That is our response to what Christ has done for us. I like what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.14. The love of Christ constrains me. Not only is it our motive to give and to be a blessing to others and to go to church. But it's also our motivation to not do things that we know we shouldn't do. The love of Christ is our biggest motivation so why do you do what you do I'm not asking what you do because I know you all are at church you're the Sunday night crowd and I'm not asking I'm not asking for I'm not begging you guys to come to church because you guys are the Sunday night crowd but I'm asking you this why do you do what you do there's a temptation of fulfillment there's a temptation of motive And finally I see there's a temptation of worship. Look at me, look with me in verse number nine. The Bible says, or verse number eight, I'm sorry. Again, um, again, the devil, I'm sorry, verse 11. Uh, No, I'm sorry, verse nine, I was right. (laughs) And And saith unto him, all these things will I give thee, if that will fall down and worship me. The devil himself came to Jesus and tempted Jesus to fall down and worship him. The commercial industry has a budget of around $240 billion every year, $240 billion. And these commercials are designed to get our attention. These commercials are specifically designed if you're watching Sports Center and a football game, they're gonna have commercials specifically geared towards that audience. Or if you're watching, um, I'm an old soul, so I like watching like the rifleman and Andy Griffith. And so if you're watching those type of shows, you're gonna get commercials that probably a little kid should never see. Because it's like for geared toward that crowd, right? So the commercial industry is so complex. And they do everything they can to get our attention. You know something else that streams for our attention is this. My phone can be one of the biggest distractions. And we want to verbalize it out loud. But if we spend more time on our phones than when we do with God, isn't that us worshiping our phones? A good indication of worship is how much time do you spend on it? I have a really a funny illustration, but I have something, an indicator, right? You say, okay, my heart is not where it should be. My heart is not really worshiping the Lord like it should be. I have a very easy fix for that, okay? The Bible says where your treasure is, there, there will your heart be also. So in my mind, before I really understood this first, I thought that because my heart is here then my money is going to follow. But that's not what the verse says. The Bible says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So your heart will follow your treasure. I work security, and so a lot of times I do stupid things because I'm tired. And so one night, it was my off night, and I was was in my bedroom. And for some reason I got this desire to to get a, a dictionary app, to get like a word of the day app. And so I download this app, and I'm on my phone, and it's free, right? So I want to download a 99-cent app. So I, I get this app, and I'm on it, and I'm like, okay, this is a cool app. You know, I can, I can do puzzles with the word of the day. I can, I can mix and match, and so just to learn it better. And so about five minutes into this app, it pops up. It says, your trial is about to expire, and I'm thinking, okay, this is such a jip, right? So I, I press like the X, okay, I'm gonna delete it. But then it, before it says, before it like closes, it says, right now, if you purchase the app, you can get a week subscription for it used to be $10, but now it's only $3. I'm like, ooh, okay. And then it says, if you buy the month subscription, it's normally like $15, but now it's $5. Okay, that sounds pretty good. I, I'm no dummy. I know a good deal when I see one. And then it says this. It says, you can buy this for a lifetime. For it used to be $100, but now it's only $20. And I'm like, Reese, you're a smart guy. You You know a good deal when you see one. And so I purchased the $20. I purchased the $20 lifetime subscription. Now, it's a dumb illustration, but I have spent more time on this app than I would have if it were for free. Because I have I'm like, I do not want to waste my money. I'm going to learn words that I'm never gonna use because all that matters is I know the words. And so I've learned words that they are pretty cool. No one, no one else knows what they are, but hey, I know what they are. But my heart and my time and my energy are devoted to the app, not because it was free, but because I had to put an investment into it. You say, my heart isn't in this church, and I really don't really have a true passion for God. A simple fix, just try it out. If you put your treasure in something, your heart will follow. I see a temptation of fulfillment, temptation of motive, and a temptation of worship. So what are three keys? These are the three temptations. I want to give you three keys to overcoming these temptations. So if you have a pen, have a paper, write these down. Three keys to overcoming temptation. The first key I see to overcoming temptation is this. Write this down. The key to obedience is not willpower, but complete reliance on God's power. The key to overcoming temptation is not willpower, but by complete reliance on God's power. In the Bible, sin and death are very closely related. They they work in concert with each other. If you have sin, you're going to have death. So Jesus came to the earth to die on the cross to pay for our sins. So because Jesus died on the cross, and three days later, he rose again, he proved that he has the power over death. Jesus holds the keys to, to death and life. And Jesus conquered the grave, meaning he conquered sin altogether. So when temptation comes our way, are we so focused on trying so hard that we forget that we have Jesus Christ living inside us, the one who died on the cross, and the one who rose again from the dead, conquering death. I've never rose again from the dead. I've never died and risen again from the dead. But Jesus did. And Jesus, if you're saved, lives inside of you, and he has the power to overcome sin in your life. The key, number one, is not willpower, but complete reliance on God's power. Number two, the key... To overcoming temptation is scripture. Every time Jesus responds to Satan, we we didn't read it um, each point. But every time Jesus responds to the devil's temptation, he says, it is written. It is written. Verse 4, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Deuteronomy 8.3. Verse 7, it is written again. ...thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Deuteronomy 6.16 Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written... ...thou shalt worship the Lord thy God... ...and him only shalt thou thou serve. Deuteronomy 6.13 The key to overcoming these temptations is Scripture. Because the Bible says that Scripture is the truth. Now Satan, he's the father of lies... So our escape from temptation doesn't come by outfighting the devil. It comes by out-truthing the devil. Because Satan cannot answer to the truth. Number one, it's not willpower, but it's complete reliance on God's power. Number two, the key to overcoming temptation is the scripture. And number three, the key to overcoming temptation in your life is to flee immediately. The story said the final eruption of Mount St. Helens in May of 1980 was not a sudden event. For two months prior to the massive blast, the most deadly and destructive in American history, and um, earthquakes and volcanic activity signaled a major event was underway. Authorities had plenty of time to sound the alarm and warn those living nearby of the looming danger. Yet despite the seriousness of the threat, some people chose to disregard the warnings. Probably the best known of of those who refused to evacuate was a man named Harry Randall Truman. The 83-year-old man was an owner and caretaker at Mount St. Helens Lodge. He had survived the sinking of his troops by a German submarine off the coast of Ireland during World War I. And he was not about to leave just because scientists thought there was danger. Truman told reporters, I don't have any idea whether it will blow, but I don't believe it to the point that I'm going to pack up. On May 18, 1980, Truman and his lodge were buried beneath 100 feet of mud and debris from the volcanic eruption, and his body was never found. A lot of us think, or maybe I, I'm, I speak on behalf of myself. I think sometimes that if I kind of hang around and loiter around the temptation, that that's going to do me any good. I think that, you know, if I hang around it and I, I kind of flirt my way around it, that it, it won't cause me danger. I can, I can leave later. But just like Harry Randall Truman If we loiter when we know that we should leave, it's going to end up in destruction. Think of Joseph when Potiphar's wife cast himself on him. The Bible says that he fled. Patch the pirate's favorite song, put on your running shoes. When sin comes knocking at your door, that's just what your feet are for. Put on your running shoes. Are we trying to loiter during the temptation or are we trying to do our best to flee that temptation? The three keys, I'll say them one more time. The key to obedience is not willpower, but complete reliance on God's power. The key to overcoming temptation is scripture. And the key to overcoming temptation is to flee immediately. As Christmas approaches, you know, y'all are buying presents. And I was shocked how many people hadn't started buying presents when y'all raised your hands. Shame on you. Shame on you. Black Friday was the day to do it. But I guess I have more malls in my ear, so I understand. But y- y'all are starting to buy presents, setting up Christmas trees, and putting on lights. If you're going to have the best Christmas you can possibly have, which that's my prayer, and I know that's Pastor Bruce's prayer for every one of you, to have the best Christmas season that you could possibly have. It's not going to come by presents. It's not going to be- come by, I have the best decorations at my house. And it's not going to come By merely family being together. Satan will do everything that he can to tempt you to sin and break that fellowship with God. The best way to have the best Christmas that you can possibly have is to have a right relationship with God. Because when you have that relationship with God, and when there's nothing between you and your Savior, you become greater, you have a greater appreciation of what Jesus did by being born on this earth. Going beyond just the best Christmas, God wants you to have the best 2022 that you can possibly have. He doesn't want you to be conquered by sin. He doesn't want you to still be struggling with the same temptations. He wants you to have a victorious 2022. And beyond that, He wants you to have a victorious Christian life. And if you want to have the best life that you can possibly have while on this short time on earth, you must have a relationship with God. Satan wants to do everything that he can to pull your eyes off of God. But may we determine tonight that we will focus our eyes on God. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. how many of you tonight would say during the message the lord spoke to me about the temptation of fulfillment and i i haven't truly been getting my fulfillment